Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 2.19, the Lord God made these animals out of the ground. He formed them and he created them. Think of God's power and majesty and creativity. Think of all the different forms of plants and animals and sea life. God made all of those. He's creative, man. He's powerful. And so God's been naming everything. He's named day and night. He's named the seas. But now all of a sudden, he gives the responsibility to Adam to name the animals. And the man gave names to all the cattle, verse 20, chapter 2, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Now, how did Adam get the intellectual capability to name animals? Remember, we, we do know this. Adam was probably using 100% of his brain. We also know that God appeared to make a mature universe. He's already an adult man. He probably speaks Hebrew, but he's got these intellectual capabilities and he's, he's expressing that he's king of the earth and the woman is queen of the earth and everything is subdued under him. So when you give a name to something, you're expressing sovereignty over it. And so that, that's what Adam does. Now, I don't know how many animals lined up. I don't know if it was 10 miles of animals or... A little stretch, but they were brought to him. And God collects the animals, if you will, and they're all brought to Adam. And the idea here is that Adam's pondering them. He's not just throwing out names. Names in the, uh, in the Bible have association with characteristics. So it means he has a depth of understanding. He doesn't just say aardvark and, you know, this or that. He's actually spending a little time contemplating characteristics uh, R. Kent Hughes says this process challenged Adam's intellectual ca- capacities. Naming demanded acquaintance and understanding of the animals. It was not a whimsical process of reviewing a 10-mile pet parade and saying, um, let's see, I've got it, aardvark, uh, chimpanzee, oh yes, zebra. One comedian you know, was saying Adam probably got tired at some point and a fly flew up and he went... <sighs> Fly. <laughs> the fly is like, come on, can't you come up with something better than that? I don't even know if he named flies, but it's a pretty obvious name if he did. And so in naming the animals, Adam had a chance to ponder what was missing in him. And maybe he was beginning to feel lonely. And he gives names to all the cattle, the birds, verse 20, the, the beasts of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. The word found, I wondered, does that imply a search? Were animals lining up for, <laughs> to make their best case? Did the snake come up? It seemed to choose me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from, but anyway... He's going to show up in the next chapter, though, and he's going to, you know what he's going to do. So nobody suitable was found. So the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, caused, God initiating, caused a deep sleep. Hebrew is tardama. It's used of abnormally heavy sleep, here divinely induced. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. 
Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Now, this is, this is Genesis anesthesia. God puts him to sleep, and Adam does not get to see the creation of his wife out of his rib, which probably would have freaked him out. Can you imagine? So anyway, he's put into this deep sleep. He doesn't get to see God's creation of her. And God does a surgery. Now, some people say, oh, this must be allegorical. This must, this can't be literal. Why not? Doctors do surgeries. You don't think God can do a surgery? Does this mean that men have one less rib than women? No. Because <laughs> God built into the DNA pattern. If you lose something, it doesn't mean that the next generation doesn't have the same number. That's just silly. Well, some scholars say, well, the Hebrew word better translated is side, so he took from his side, but actually it says he took one of his ribs, so one of his sides doesn't make sense, so I take this literally. He took one of his ribs literally, dripping with marrow and fluid, and he would make the woman out of the rib that he took from Adam. And the question any Bible student must ask is, why? Why did God do it this way? Why does he do this surgery on Adam. Did you know that Adam is the first organ donor? <laughs> you know, when someone donates an organ, some of you know people who have donated a kidney and stuff to someone they love. It's an act of love. And this is probably part of the reason why this intimacy in marriage exists and this, this desire to know each other in a deeper way. So Adam's in a deep sleep and now a marvelous surgery Surgical operation is going to take place. So the man, you know, after he woke from his nap, you guys have heard that he woke up a day late and a rib short. All heard that one. Some women believe he never woke up at all. Uh, you've heard, you know, Johnny in Sunday school, he, uh, he learned about the Genesis account of the woman being made from Adam's rib. And so he came home from Sunday school, it's the afternoon, and he's on the ground holding his side seemed to have a tummy ache or something. And mom goes, what's wrong, Johnny? What's wrong? And he goes, my side hurts. I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> so as Adam sleeps, God does this marvelous surgery and this creative act. It's incredible to think about what God did here. And he begins to mold and shape the woman. The Lord God, 22, fashioned, literally built into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. It's interesting, the Midrash, one of the Jewish writings, says that God is the first father to walk a bride down the aisle. Because he makes her and he brings her to Adam. He walks her down the aisle. And Adam is there. And you've got to imagine, man, he's, he's been checking out the animals and he's been studying them and naming them. And now, hey, there was nothing suitable for him. And now he sees her. And that's where you get the 1970s English. He goes, whoa, man. Awesome. <laughs> first Timothy 2.13 says, it was Adam who was created first and then Eve. First Corinthians 11.8 says, for man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, says, She was not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be beloved. Beautiful. So this is what God does. 
And Adam, interestingly enough, probably for the rest of his life, his life bore a wound scar in his side. Which is interesting to give life to the woman. He has a wound in his side. To give life to his bride, he's wounded in his side. And then you think, wait a minute, the New Testament says that Jesus is the last Adam. The first Adam blew it. The last Adam came, protected his bride in the garden. He said, if it's me you want, uh, let, let these alone and take me. And now Jesus Christ, the last Adam, has a wound wearing his side. You may see it one day if he's still bearing those marks. And I think he probably is, according to New Testament resurrection accounts. There's a wound in the side and there's a deeper message. Do you see it? Christ is the groom and we are the bride and the way we get life is from his wounded side, if you will, his death on the cross. And marriage is a picture of Christ and the church and God always does things for a reason. And Adam would bear that scar and there's a connection between the woman, amen, and the man. This is God's purpose. This conveys the idea that marriage is all about God. He's the father of the bride. And the man said this, the idea is at last, 23, is now bone of my bones. And he's speaking literally now. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, he names her now, woman, Isha. First time that this is used because she was taken out of man, Ish. The word Isha, you could spell it this way, I-S-H-A. And he is Ish, I-S-H. His name is embedded in hers because they are bonded together. And uh, I'm sure that there was quite a moment there where he saw this counterpart, this helper, this ally who would be his life partner. I'm sure he loved her from the moment he saw her. Now, with this idea of bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, if you would turn to Ephesians 5, we just have a few moments left and I'm going to just try to get in a couple other thoughts. Ephesians chapter 5 is the classic marriage text. And this may, may bring some further clarity when we've seen the Genesis account. Go to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 28. Ephesians 5, 28. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. In Hebrew culture, by the way, uh, in, in the West, we say if someone is a, is a kin, we say, he's my blood. You know, we might say, he's my blood brother. Well, in Hebrew culture, when someone is bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, they're your kin. It's another way of saying there's a deep bond. Look at Ephesians 5.28. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Think of Eve being taken out of Adam, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because... We are members of his body, New King James, King James adds, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause, now Paul quotes Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Go to Matthew 19. Ish and Isha are interesting words. Matthew 19. Uh, Dr. Seekins in the Hebrew picture language of 
Hebrew uh, word pictures, he writes this about Ish and Isha, the names of man and woman. In Hebrew, uh, it means, man means whose hand works in the fire. The word for both man and woman or husband and wife are built around the word Ash or Ish for fire. But the differences in the words for men and women combined in Hebrew spell God's name. Done right, God's glory is revealed in marriage or a family. Without God, all that we have left is fire. In fact, without God, the Hebrew letters that are left literally say, the fire of fires, close quote. What's interesting is men and women live near the fire, if you will. If it's the fire of God's glory, it will mold and shape both of them into the image of God. But if you remove God and just leave the fire, it will wipe out and devour everything. Marriages based upon Scripture and the Bible do very well when people are actually living out their faith. In fact, the statistics are incredibly impressive. The divorce rate is nowhere near the culture for serious Christians. In fact, the divorce rate is about 1% for people who take their faith seriously. The, the surveys that you hear in the world are people who say they're Christians, who give lip service to it, but are not living it out. And so now here's this incredible thing. But before we go there, Matthew 19, people in our culture are saying Jesus never commented on marriage. He never defined it. He never said homosexuality was wrong. He never made any statements about this. Look at Matthew 19. Go to verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Jesus answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them what? Male and female. That's Genesis 1.27. That's Jesus speaking, quoting from Genesis. And said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus just quoted from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He doesn't believe they contradict each other, apparently. Apparently he believes they're historical. He believes they're accurate. He doesn't believe they're allegory. He actually appeals to them with a marriage question. He says, this is the way it was from the beginning. A man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. They're male and female, singular, 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 and they join in monogamous heterosexual marriage. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse six, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. When people get married and a ceremony occurs, God presides over it. And God takes covenants seriously. And when you make a commitment to your spouse in a public ceremony, God joins you together. He says, okay, that's what you want to do. Now you are married and I have joined you together. And Jesus says, if God does that, don't let people mess with it. It is to our peril in the church and in the society to try to redefine something God established. God will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, he will reap. And in the church culture, we have denominations right now who are backing away from the Genesis account, backing away from the words of Jesus. Why? Because the cultural winds are blowing a certain direction. My brothers and sisters, come on. Is this not clear to you? Jesus has answered the question emphatically. And they said to him, well, then why then did Moses command seven to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but what? From the beginning, 
It has not been this way. Go back to Genesis and we'll finish it. Jesus appeals to Genesis. Emphatically, he has told us what marriage is about. He answered the question clearly. It's a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife. Now, some people say, Adam didn't have a father and mother. He's the first human because this is establishing a principle. Did Adam have a belly button? Answer that one, Christian. (laughs) Who cares? That's not the issue. The issue is a principle is being set down. And from now on, men will leave father and mother and cleave to their wife. The word leave is a strong word. We kind of soften it. It actually means forsake. Now, it doesn't mean that when a a young person gets married, they forsake their parents. You're supposed to honor and love your parents. But it means that your loyalties now shift from your family and parents to your new family. There's a new covenant. Think of what Jesus said at the Last Supper. The new covenant is that new marriage. And now that person, both male and female, leave the first family of parents, all that they've known, and they cleave to their wife. The word cleave means to stick like glue. And these are both used for um, uh, forsake is, is covenant language in the Old Testament. And cleave is Israel should stick to Yahweh like glue. They should cling to him always. Strong language. You got to leave and you got to cleave. Application. Some people who get married don't leave and some parents are meddling parents. And it's dangerous. Because if you start meddling in your kid's marriage and you get between them, you could lend support, you can give advice if they ask you for it. Even if you see something wrong, you can try to help them get closer to God and one another. But if you become a wedge in that marriage, you are disobeying scripture. And if you're a young adult and you can't leave mommy and daddy and start your new family, you're in trouble too. Both are mistakes. Somebody picks up the phone and they're mad at their spouse and they say, his she calls mom this is what he did to me this is what he said to me and mom's squeezing the phone 20 minutes right she says where's the gun get the gun i'm like (laughs) so then she hangs up a couple hours go by they make up they're reconciled but mom's still over there she hasn't been part of the forgiveness process she still wants to kill him you may want to rethink that You can certainly use mom to vent, but be careful how much you share because she doesn't get to be part of the reconciliation process. She still hates him. That's why she wouldn't even pass the mashed potatoes to him at the... Anyway. (laughs) Children must leave. Parents must let go. Here's another thing. Even though the two become one, you still are individuals, and the language implies this. Yes, they are one, but they're still individuals. They still have their own identity, their own male and femaleness. And it is good to spend a lot of time together, but it's also good to do stuff apart. You can have your own hobbies when you're married. I enjoy playing golf. My wife does not want to play golf. And all God's people said, I do not want to shop most of the time. Sometimes I enjoy shopping. She doesn't like shopping either. But a lot of guys, they, you know, they all congregate at that bench. You know, the guy bench. How long do you think it's going to be? I have no idea. You know what the score of the game is? Yeah, it's on my phone. You know, they kind of just put their arm around each other. It's all right to spend a little time apart. In fact, it might help your marriage. 
if you have your own individual interests. As we come full circle, here's the beautiful thing. I, I think you can see in that wound in his side and in the beauty of marriage, it's a picture of Christ and his church. Jesus was wounded for us, and one day, you may not be married right now, maybe you lost your spouse, but you still have a husband who's faithful. Amen? And one day you're going to see him face to face, and marriage is for now. In the resurrection, we won't be married to each other, apparently. We're going to be married to the Lamb of God. We're going to have deeper relationships, I think, than we've ever had before, but we're going to be at a marriage supper of the Lamb. This is all picturesque of Christians in the church. Do you know him? You know, the way you come to know Christ, I got the privilege of leading a couple of people to Christ yesterday at the outreach, is you just got to say, I do. The, the wedding invitation is there. You've just got to say, I do, I will. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you know him? It's incredible. He wants to have a deep relationship with you. He died to give you life. He was wounded for your transgressions and mine. And he says, will you marry me? And all you got to do is really turn from doing it your own way and say, I will. Would you bow with me, Father? We thank you for this message on marriage. It's so important that we understand it, that we apply it, that for young people who are trying to figure out the right way to go, that they find somebody who's equally yoked and on the same page and really seeing the foundation being you, Lord. And I pray for marriages that are hurting right now that you'd restore them. I pray that for those who are off track, they'd get back on track. Where there's been confusion, that there would be clarity. Where there's been hopelessness, there would be hope. Lord, thank you that marriage is a picture of Christ and his bride. Forgive us for muddying it in our culture. Forgive us as the church in America where we have compromised. Lord, I pray for your mercy and I pray for revival and even reformation in the church. Let it start with us. We're not here to condemn people. We're not here to wag a bony righteous finger. We're, we're here to rejoice in your grace. But we also know you're a God of love and a God of truth. And we want to bring truth to our society where there is confusion uh, I pray that there would be hope. And if you have not met Jesus, I would just pray for you to cry out to him right now. And if you want to do it right now and you want to say yes to him and start that new relationship, it's something like this. And I would just encourage you, pray it right now, pray it out loud. Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I say I do, I trust you. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sins and give me a new start. Lord, I pray for those who are crying out, maybe even prodigals in the room who have gotten off track and maybe even living with some consequences that you'd pour your mercy on them. Give them a new start, a new beginning. Help them to know they're forgiven and cleansed. And I pray for this precious church body, that marriages will stay strong, will be true to our covenants, the commitments that we've made, what you have joined together that we let nobody separate, including ourselves. Where we've made mistakes, Lord, 
and erred, may we rest in your grace and know that uh, the only unforgivable sin is to reject Christ. So no matter what mistakes we've made, we're going to just put them under your grace right now collectively and ask that your living waters would flood and flow over this congregation. Bring healing, uh, new starts, and maybe just a more a renewed firmness about standing for marriage and especially for our marriages and families. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So what do you do after you get saved? What do you do after you pray a prayer of receiving Jesus Christ into your life? Well, there are really four things that you should do now that you've become a Christian. You've done the most important thing by opening your life to Christ, repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. But now you need to grow in your most holy faith. You need to find a place to grow. You need to be discipled because now you can expect some spiritual attacks from the enemy. And now you can expect that, you know, there's going to be a lot of areas in which you're going to need to experience growth and knowledge and help. And so the local church becomes a very important place for you to connect. And your growth is going to be dependent, at least in part, on the church that you choose. So let's start with the church. You need to find a healthy Bible teaching church. Try to find a church that teaches through the Bible in an expository fashion. What that means is they take chapters of the Bible and go through and explain the verses, not just simply 20-minute uh, messages that are not grounded in the text. Look for a place that teaches verse by verse and teaches the, the Bible with some depth, explaining what passages mean. You need to connect to a good, healthy fellowship. The next thing is prayer. Prayer is a two-way communication with God, and we need to learn how to pray. That's going to take some time as well, but just praying and thanking God for the day. Praying with an open Bible is a good way to pray. Make sure your prayers are directed and informed by Scripture. So you have fellowship, you have prayer. Bible reading is very important. Think of the Bible as your spiritual food. There's an old saying, you are what you eat. And uh, we need the Bible to make us strong as Christians. It's our spiritual food. And just read a chapter a day. Pray before you read. Ask God to help you to get understanding. And then open your Bible and read it. And the last thing is share your faith with others. You have an immediate mission field as a new believer. You probably have a lot of unbelieving friends and family around you. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can get help about how to share the gospel and use gospel tracts also from your local fellowship. If you need help finding a good, healthy Bible teaching church, hopefully we can help you with that. And so if you want to contact us through the website or call the church office, we'd love to give you some help in this new journey as a believer. Take it a day at a time and grow. Give yourself to fellowship, Bible reading, prayer, and sharing the gospel with others. And God will bless your life. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.